Good morning, and welcome to worship at Woodmont Christian Church. We are so glad that you are here. One of the things that you need to know for the week coming up is that we have a virtual Thanksgiving service on this Wednesday, and there will be more details about that as the week goes along. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the ways in which we are able to connect with one another and to connect with you. And God, we pray that you would take this service the music and the prayers and the words offered up. And may they all be things that draw us closer to you and draw us closer to a love of our neighbor. Thank you for all that you've given us and all you've done for us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So my family recently moved into a new house. Actually, let me amend that. My family recently moved into a house that is new to us. The house itself is not actually new. It was built in 1899. So it was not built in this century. It was not built in the last century, but the one before that. We moved in right after Halloween. And now that I know that the house is not deeply haunted, I'm kind of in all of the place. It's like living inside of a history book. We know that the house once caught on fire and it had to be rebuilt. We know that where our bedroom is, we at least think it used to be the kitchen. And we know that what's our kitchen now used to be some sort of porch because you can see the exterior brick and the windows from inside the kitchen. The floors creak with a century's worth of character as you walk across every room, and it's really, really cool. Now, just think of all that the house has seen. It is 121 years old. 1899 was only a few decades removed from the Civil War. It was nine years before the Model T was built. It was two and a half decades before electricity in people's homes was a common thing. Mark Twain was still alive. And you and me and none of us else, none of the rest of us who were watching this, we were around or being close to being around. This house has been around for world wars and people walking on the moon. In that house that was built during the presidency of William McKinley, there is now electricity and running water. We drive away from that house without giving it a second thought. We have video calls with relatives that are hundreds of miles away, things that would have seemed like science fiction when that house was first built. And it's kind of mind-boggling. I mean, how does something stand the test of time in a literal trial by fire like that? How do you build something to last? That is the question that is at the heart of today's text. How do you build a life that is going to last? An existence that will stand the test of time and trials by fire that will weather life's storms. Now, this is a familiar passage. If you've been to a children's Sunday school class or to vacation Bible school, you've probably sung the song about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Jesus tells a story about this astute architect and his less wise counterpart. Both of them built their houses. And on the surface, Jesus doesn't indicate any difference between the two other than what they are built on. One on rock, one on sand. Other than that, they could have been identical. Or the one on sand could have been even more extravagant than the one built on rock. We don't know. Jesus doesn't say and doesn't seem to care. After all, God does not look on the external appearances that matter to us, but God looks at what is inside, or in this case, what is underneath. The story continues. A great storm rolls in. The winds howled and torrential rains beat upon both houses until floodwaters rose. And the house on the rock withstood the devastating storm, but the house on sand collapsed. 
And Jesus is careful to tell us that the collapse was a great and epic fall. Now, the idea that we will face storms in life should not be a new one to us. Indeed, you would have to have your head in the sand if you did not realize that there will be difficulties in this world that will test each of us mightily. So again, we're going to face tests, and the question remains, how does one build something that will withstand the trials, the tests, and the storms that life throws at us? Fortunately for us, Jesus is not evasive in this answer. He's very clear and straightforward. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. Rereading this passage this week, that very first verse leapt out at me. Because from those childhood songs, I've always understood this to be a story about believing in Jesus, of having the right faith, of having the right orthodoxy, the right uh, belief. The wise man built his house on the rock. He believed in Jesus. And when the rains came down and the floods came up, the house on the rock stood firm. But this is not a story about believing in Jesus. Well, it is, but not in the way that it is normally taught. This story is a precursor to James telling us that faith without works is dead. Because you can believe something all the live long day, but it's not until you act on it that it becomes something real. I could believe that I could play in the NBA, but that means squat unless I exhibit some actual NBA skill on the basketball court. I can say that I love my wife and my children, but that love is purely theoretical until it is exhibited with action. I can believe that I'm a good person, but if my actions do not support that belief, then I am just deceiving myself. Jesus says the one who builds that house that will last is the one who hears his words and acts on them specifically the words that Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying for these past several weeks. This grabbed a hold of me because the Sermon on the Mount is often viewed as advanced level Christianity. If we're going to extend the house metaphor, for Christians, living out the Sermon on the Mount is considered the dream home that you one day hope to build when you have the time and the means to build it. The things Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount are difficult, that we have to flee from anger and lust, that we need to turn the other cheek, that we need to love our enemies, that we need to not make a spectacle of our good deeds, that we should serve God rather than money and trust God in all circumstances, that we need to refrain from judging others and live by the golden rule even when others will not. The teachings found within Matthew 5 through 7 are seen as a tall order to such an extent that Christians for years have been trying to figure out ways to finagle their way out of the ethic that is preached here. The theologian Clarence Bauman once wrote, it is commonly assumed that Jesus's ethic was too high to be woven into the fabric of life in this world, that his teaching was too lofty for ordinary people in usual circumstances, and that his demands are therefore intended essentially for the original disciples, transfigured by the divine aura of their master, for metamorphosed believers elevated into an otherworldly existence, and possibly for beatified monks reposing in celestial bliss on holy mountains." Beatified monks proposing in celestial bliss on holy mountains sounds like a Led Zeppelin song. But that's not the case. If we are going to take Jesus in this story seriously, he tells us that if we want our lives to withstand the test of time and all else, then we need to act on the words 
that he preaches. This challenging sermon is for all of his followers. And to deny the fact that it applies to us would be, as Ben Witherington puts it, a failure of nerve. So the Sermon on the Mount is not some maybe one day in the future dream home. It's the starter house. Heck, it's the foundation of the starter house, and then we build from there. These words that Jesus preaches are not something that we can opt out of if we want to follow him. So, how do you and I, regular, everyday, flawed people, live out such a high calling that is normally assumed for monks and saints? Well, remember a few minutes back where I said that this is a story about belief, but not belief in the way that we're talking about or we're used to teaching about? That's where we come back. Jesus repeatedly asked his followers to do difficult things. When we are in church a lot, or we're in a society where Christianity is considered a default, we might forget the fact that Christianity is actually this great challenge. Time and time again, disciples of Jesus learn that it's hard to do the things that Jesus asks us to do. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a scene in which a rich young man declares that he wants to follow Jesus, and he says that he's done everything perfectly, which, you know, is kind of suspect, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And Jesus tells him that there's one thing he lacks, that he needs to sell everything he has and give it to the poor. And the young man is heartbroken because he just can't do that, and he walks away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says the famous phrase that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples are flabbergasted. Then who on earth can be saved, Jesus, they ask. And in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus replies, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. To hear the words that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and to act on them seems like a colossal challenge. But with God, all things are possible. That's why Jesus talks constantly about trusting God within the sermon. He promises that God cares for us, that God is with us, which is good because we are not going to get this following God thing perfect. As we try to build our houses on the rocks, we are going to smash our hands and fingers with hammers more times than we would like to admit. The windows might let in a bit of a draft. The floors are definitely going to creak and groan as we walk across them. Our houses are going to be imperfect. That is simply part of living this life. We are going to mess up. You are going to mess up. I have messed up and will mess up. But thankfully, there is grace that will cover our shortcomings. In this sermon, Jesus instructs us to pray for God to forgive us of our debts, our trespasses, our sins, our mistakes. He knows that we're going to mess up. Yet God will be with us despite those construction mishaps. Now, even as God is with us, we have agency in this. The action is still on us. My two sons right now have been playing for the last couple of months a Zelda video game. And it gets to points sometimes where the game gets too difficult. They reach a point where they don't think that they can do it, and they hand me the controller and ask me to do it. And I try really hard not to do it because I want them to be the one to experience the game. I want them to accomplish it. I want them to persevere through the challenges that they face. And so I'll help them and I'll guide them, 
But they're the ones who have to press the buttons. They're the ones who have to move and solve the puzzle or have the patience to defeat the monster. God doesn't want to do this for us. God wants us to do it so that we can grow more into the people that God wants us to be. And so we have to take action. We have to proactively be lights in the world. We must make every effort not to be consumed by anger. We have to be intentional about loving our enemies. We have to make the choice each day to trust God with whom all things are possible. It won't happen by accident or if it's some sort of side project that we do on the weekends. We've got to build this house with our sweat, our time, our effort, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is good that God will be with us because Jesus promises that there are going to be rains and winds that beat upon our lives that will bring shattered windows, hell-damaged roofs, and flooding in the basement. There will be loss and pain, broken relationships, disease, and death. We'll be hurt and we'll have to repair and pick up the pieces. Yet Jesus promises us that throughout it all, no matter the damage, the house built on rock will stand firm. Now I admit, to accept that that foundation will stay firm is a leap of faith. And all I can give you is my testimony and the testimony of others before me. But I think that that leap, the building of on building life on the teachings of Jesus and following and trusting God. I believe that leap, leap is worth it. So I've been sitting with this passage this week and wondering how life can withstand those tests over and over again. And I keep running up against the idea that we are temporal. We are finite. We are only here for a short time. So what then becomes of the house built by faithfully following Jesus? Now, obviously, you can take the track that because we as Christians believe in a life beyond earth, then your house is never destroyed. That when Jesus says that the house will stand, he's talking about our souls that will live on. And I believe that. Yet I also wonder if he's talking about how what we build can also outlast us here on earth as well. I don't know if it's because we celebrated All Saints Day a couple of weeks ago, but I keep coming back to what this house metaphor looks like after we're gone. My family lives in a house that is 121 years old. The person who built it and laid its foundation left this mortal coil a long, long time ago. Yet the fruit of their labor still provides shelter. It is still a home in which we live and eat and sleep and laugh and cry and pray. It's kind of remarkable that it has withstood the test of time and everything that life has thrown at it. A well-built house will stand for an awfully long time, and I'm coming to realize that people who follow these words of Jesus will too. We have a few students in our youth group who have lost parents along the way. And that is a grief and a loss that I cannot even begin to fathom. It's a storm that lingers for a very long time. Yet one of the most amazing things that I've seen is the way in which these lost loved ones continue to live on in their kids. It is very obvious that their parents, both those that have gone on and those who are still here, have built their house on the rock. I see it in the lives of the students and the lives that they're building. 
with every brick that they lay with love and compassion. I see it in how they keep standing in the midst of a terrible storm. I see it in how they keep reaching out to others who are going through their own trials. The house still stands. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. And that is a holiday that I associate closely with my grandma who passed away a few years ago. Uh, And I can tell you honestly that I probably would not be here talking to you today if it was not for her. Not just in how she and my granddad raised my mom, but in the way that she modeled for me what it means to follow Jesus, to take seriously these words in the Sermon on the Mount. Grandma was a light in the world. She trusted God. She was a genius of hospitality who opened her door to anyone and everyone. Um, She showed me what it meant to love God with all one's heart and soul and mind and strength. She never made a show of praying, but I know that she fervently prayed for me and for everyone else in her family. Um, She built her house upon the rock as best she could with God's help. And that house still stands. It still stands for her children and her grandchildren. It still stands for my children. And part of its witness is passed on to my students and to you. Sharing Williams' house still stands and is just as real as I am standing before you right now. The house that each of us built is not just for us. It is for our neighbor. It is for our loved ones. And it's for some unsuspecting stranger that we might not ever meet and might not ever know this side of heaven. So do you want to build a house like that? A house that will stand the test of time and will be a haven that creates space for you, those around you and those after you, to live a life full of justice, mercy, and walking humbly with God. If so, listen to the words of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Take them seriously and act on them. They are not just a blueprint for the saints or the exceptionally holy. They are for all those who wish to follow Jesus, all those who wish to make this world be more like what God dreams of it to be. We will not get it perfect. Our houses may be crooked and drafty, but they will always stand, for God is with us, and with God all things are possible. And it is possible for those houses to be for people who are lights in the world, who are not consumed by anger or lust, who turn the other cheek, who love their enemies and pray for those who do them harm. We can be people who do not flaunt our good deeds, who fervently seek God in prayer, who serve God rather than money or anything else, who fill our lives with goodness, who trust, who ask, who seek, who knock, who treat others as we want to be treated. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, is like the wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds beat on the house, but it did not fall. Amen.